you, Jesus. Yeah, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We recognize your glory on this place, in this room, and upon this company of people. Lord, we know that those who show up at the last second get the same wages as those who've been here for the entire time. So, Lord, let there be in this day a mighty outpouring of all the grace and favor that has ever been released in this room, in this place, on this ground, and through this people. May it be upon this city and multiplied in this region. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. She gets younger all the time. It's crazy. Love you, man. So good to see you guys this morning. Um, it's true that, that it's not fair that somebody could show up here on March the 29th and get an impartation of everything that so many of you have worked for for decades. But are you okay with that? the economy of heaven. Are, are you okay with the fact that it's possible that the greatest outpouring in the city, uh, in the city of Austin's history has yet to happen? Uh-huh. Um, knowing Ross, I met Ross Parsley some years ago. When I met him, he had an excellent spirit about him. And he just is such a great guy. And he had plowed a lot of ground in this city for, for many, many years at one chapel. It just wasn't a fly-by-night kind of a thing. Ross had uh, served under, um, under a pastor that had gone through a horrible scandal in Colorado Springs many years ago and, and had emerged not only with his faith intact but stronger than he was before and um, didn't let that keep him down. It was, a, it was just an incredible rebound. Um, and uh, for, for years we sang, uh, not just in here, but various churches I've been in, the song, I am free to run, I am free to dance, I am free to live for you. And that was uh, uh, it's a Ross Parsley song. So interesting, that song has been run to and danced to all over this room. And now the guy that birthed that song will be leading this house. And so when I... When I Met Ross, I thought, you got to meet Bill. Because he was asking the question, who are the father, fathers in this city? And so I'm mentioning names, but Bill's was at the top of the list. And I said, you know, here's a guy who paid a price for something we all have come to accept as normal. And uh, I remember as an Assembly of God pastor many years ago, I'd have people that would come down here. Because, I mean, there was gold showing up and there were feathers happening. And I I said back in those days, I was like, well, come on. Really? Serious? Which, here's the thing. People criticize what they haven't experienced all the time. Don't don't be offended by the critics. They're just revealing what they haven't experienced. All right. They're just one encounter away from a complete paradigm shift. And and so... uh, me working with Bill and is, it was a was a strange, strange series of circumstances led us to that moment, and uh, I'm I'm eternally grateful for what God is doing through our lives. But uh, you know, there's an old Texas saying that says, "If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he didn't get there by himself." <laughs> and so, every place where we're standing that has favor on our lives, I recognize the shoulders and the foundations of the people that I stand. Stand uh, on that have have by their will. You don't climb up there. They they pick you up and they they do that. And Bill and Sue have launched us into and some amazing things. And I won't talk so much about that today. I want to just focus here on this place. Uh, <clears throat> I love church history. Big student of church history. And if you've never read it, you should go and look online for uh, a document known as the Letter of Clement of Alexandria to the Church in Corinth. The Church in Corinth uh, documents, after the death of Peter and after the death of Paul, the very first church split ever was the Church of Corinth. And what happened is young leaders came into the church and they overthrew the old leaders because the old leaders were just you know, just weren't weren't cutting it for the day. And they overthrew the old leaders, they staged a coup, and they took over the church. 
Well, Clement of Alexandria, Bishop of Alexandria down the road, had been friends of Peter and Paul, and he knew these guys really, really well. So he knew their heart, and he knew their DNA, and he knew what was important in the body of Christ. And what was important was unity, oneness. It was a big deal that 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 uh, that they knew this, and they had lost that perspective. And so uh, Clement uh, issues a letter, and you can find it online. It's, it's available everywhere, uh, and it's, it's a beautiful read. There's a few lines in it that were really, really important. He actually never signed the letter because he didn't care whether it came from him or anybody else. It's just words that just needed to be said. And so what the letter essentially says, and here's the kind of the, one of the key phrases of it, is that the body of Christ is made up of, of its people. And when you divide the church, you actually do literal violence to the body of Christ. So there. I added that last part. But that's essentially, it was a mic drop moment. And the letter had so much impact on the young leaders that had stepped into authority that they actually repented and gave the church back and said, wow, you're right, we don't divide the body. Well, we don't have record of another church split for 300 years. The letter of Clement of Alexandria was actually copied and given to every church. And early church records in the first two centuries say that in their services, before they would actually begin the preaching of the word or do anything in the body, they would actually read the letter. And that letter kept people focused on unity for centuries until 300s, 312, 329 when, when, uh, uh, <clears throat> when Constantine comes in and normalizes Christianity, legalizes it, not just legalizes it, but made it the law. You had to be a Christian. And they figured, well, since the government has taken over, we don't need to read this anymore. And the letter of Clement was actually lost to history until 1623. And the Bishop of Alexandria at that time gave a copy of the scriptures, one of the oldest copies that they had, to the King of England in 1623. And he opens it up, and inside is a hand-copied copy of the letter of Clement. Been lost for, what, 1,300 years. And it would have been nice if they would have read it before the Protestant Reformation, because it might have actually injected into the Reformation the sense that unity is a really big deal, that oneness is a big deal, that we are literally the body of Christ. You come up with a new idea, you don't just split off and run away. And here's the thing, what we end up doing is we actually do violence to the body. And you say, well, I can't partner with somebody I don't necessarily agree with. Here's the thing about Jesus. And that is that Jesus begins his ministry by partnering with people he didn't agree with. And he simply does life living in obedience to the Father. That's it. He does life with people who don't even know he's the Son of God. Simply living in obedience to the Father. And he doesn't twist their arm to believe like he believes or think like he thinks. As a matter of fact, you say, say, well, Jesus is here to answer everybody's questions. No, listen. He he had... Jesus clearly answers about three questions in the whole Bible, right? And even those clear answers aren't super clear. He didn't show up to correct all of our theology because it's not by our unity in theology that they're one. It's by unity in him. And so what happens is Jesus actually, when he ascends, he leaves them with theological issues. As if, you guys work this thing out. How do we work this out? By obedience to the Father and submission to one another and surrender to one another and love for one another. By this the world will know you are my disciples because you have love for one another. And Clement of Alexandria's letter details out probably the best document on apostolic succession that has ever been written. And for most people who've never read it. But what's happening here is so rare. I mean, the ability to take the baton and to look at somebody else and go, your vision needs the soil that we've plowed all these years. You've got seed, we've got soil, let's put them together and see what happens. And for a father in the city to step back and hand the baton to a son in the faith, and then to take the posture to serve. you understand how rare that is? So pay close attention to what happens here over the next months and years. 
because I believe it's going to become a catalytic uh, representative of the body of Christ, of what is supposed to happen when fathers and sons pass the baton to one another. God will bring fathers and mothers into your life for the purpose of revealing what he's placed within you. And then, like the story of the master and the servants, the master withdraws. Because he wants to see what the servants do with what they've been given. And fathers and mothers will come in and out of your life and they will consistently reveal what's in you. And then they'll step back and see what do you do with what you've been given. Just get used to that pattern. It's kind of a big deal. Turn your Bibles with me if you got it. I uh, got a Bible. Turn your iPhone, whatever, to uh, Acts chapter 19. I want to give you a vision of what Austin can be even more than it is now. Can a nation be saved in a day? Can a city be saved in a day? What God's doing these days is such an outpouring of glory and anointing. You, hang on. It, it's, it's going to blow your mind. I'm going to paraphrase through this because I've got a lot of ground to cover. And, and there's some things I really feel stirring in my spirit specifically for this day today. In Acts chapter 19... Uh, if we back up to Acts chapter 18 to set up the story, there's a man by the name of Apollos. He's an Egyptian uh, a Jew. He's, he's uh, a believer in Jesus. He knows about Jesus. And what he's discovered is, is that he can actually prove that Jesus is the Messiah through the scriptures. And he's really, really good at it. And so uh, Apollos comes and he preaches the gospel and he unveils the Messiahship of Christ. And, and Priscilla and Aquila hear him and they go, you know, this is, this is great. And he's effective at persuading Jews. But the problem is, is there's something in his message that's missing. They pull him aside and they actually minister to him. They minister a, a more excellent way, which is interesting because you're talking about Priscilla, who's a woman who actually teaches Apollos, who is a teacher, a well-respected teacher. And Paul blesses this. He doesn't curse it. A lot has been said about women in ministry. You guys, have you ever heard anything I've preached about this? You know what I think about this. But listen, 2,000 years ago, God rented space in the womb of a young girl in the Middle East in order to sell by sell, grow as we do, to be born as we are into this world. That's the literal manifestation, physical manifestation of the presence of God. So I think the question of whether or not women are qualified to carry the glory has been eternally answered, right? Just saying. If God thought that a woman was, was worthy to give birth to the word, pretty sure she's worthy to preach the word, right? That just needed to be said for the camera. So, so, so here you have uh, Priscilla and Aquila teaching Apollos a more excellent way. And he hears and he responds. Great. Uh, but I want you to see him in chapter 19 and verse 1. It says... <clears throat> no, it's okay. That's, we're good. It happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and he came to Ephesus and he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what were you baptized? And he said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him. And that is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, stop for a second. They believed in Jesus. Being baptized into the name of Jesus is a little bit more involved than what the English translation gives us here. Name in Hebrew culture is identity. Baptized is immersed in, right? So when Jesus said, baptize it told us all to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It literally means this. Your message must immerse people in the identity of Father, Spirit, and Son. In other words, when they get done hearing the gospel you preach, they are literally experiencing a baptism of reconciled union with Father, Spirit, and Son. That's what baptism is. It was never meant to be turned into, let's just dunk people underwater and say a mantra. 
So you've heard me say this before, but listen, if you got baptized, they just pronounced it over you, dunked you underwater, you came out with no greater revelation that you are one with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and He did that, then you just took a public bath. (laughs) Which isn't a bad thing. That's nice. But here's the deal. Union, reconciled union with God, is the only thing that causes us to be able to walk in reconciled union with each other. The message of unity doesn't come apart from a message of union with God, from a revelation of our union with Him. That's the thing that ultimately transforms and changes us from the inside out. And so, when He says they're baptized in the name of Jesus, what's happening here? They had John's baptism. And John's baptism was, get your life right, turn or burn. It's repentance, which is beautiful. It's like, great, I'm turning from and I'm turning toward. But I'm constantly turning. And like I said the other night, it's like, you know, when we try to... God is so omnipresent. Like David said in Psalm 139, where do I go to get away from you, right? God is so omnipresent, when you turn your back on Him, you're still facing Him. He's already there. As we'll see in just a few minutes here. They're baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 6, look at this. Paul then laid hands on him, on them. And the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. You understand, these guys have no grid for this. What, what's just happened here? He's like, uh, yeah, they, we don't even... What, Holy Spirit? What's that? We didn't even know there was. In other words, they're walking in the measure of revelation that was given to them. And I want to say this to you. Every person that ever ministers to you, me, Papa Bill, any person that ever ministers to you, we know as much as God has allowed us to see. And as much as possible are faithful to give the extent that God has allowed us to see. And over the course of time, there are others that will come that have seen something that we haven't seen or more than we have seen. And when they show that to you, when you come to this place of, let's say that you grew up in a, in a hellfire brimstone church, and then suddenly you get smacked with grace. You can find yourself actually becoming angry at those who came before because of what they didn't tell you. I can't say how many times I've heard this over the years. How come nobody told me this? And you get this thought that they lied to me. They deceived me. No, 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 no. They were Apollos. They had the revelation that God gave them and they were faithful to deliver what God gave them to deliver to you because it was a piece of the puzzle that you needed. And as a matter of fact, if you hadn't had that piece of the puzzle, the grace piece wouldn't have made any sense. you'd never learned to live in discipline, surrender to the obedience of the voice of the Lord, then you never understood that grace is the thing that empowers you to actually do that. And grace, without this revelation of the necessity to surrender to the voice of the Lord, would have actually caused you to think that you can live in compromise without consequence. Which some people do. So Paul says, hey, look, somebody plants... Somebody waters, somebody else gets the increase. This is the way this thing works. Listen, I bless everybody who has ever had an inkling of revelation and has given to me, broken off a piece of their life and given to me a portion of what they've been given. It may not be the whole picture. I don't need it to be the whole picture. I'm grateful for every single Peace I've ever been given because they all matter on some level. Right? So don't allow yourself to become bitter at somebody because they didn't teach you something that now you've learned. As if they somehow uh, uh, purposely deceived you or lied to you. They were just being faithful with what they knew. These guys, when Paul says, you guys received the Holy Spirit, they go, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so Paul's like, okay, well, let's get you baptized into Jesus. Revelation of being united with Christ, that the spirit of the resurrected Christ has received you and takes up residence in you. And now I'm going to lay hands on you and something's going to happen here. So here's the deal. What takes place here is kind of an outline of what Jesus says in John 20, 22, when he says, receive the Holy Spirit. 
That's the moment where the presence of the Holy Spirit now becomes available to everybody in the room. That's where you see no division between the Spirit and the Son, but a distinction where the Spirit that's with them in the flesh is now able to be perceived within them. But then Jesus says something most fascinating. He goes, go to Jerusalem and wait until you're filled with power from on high. Now you understand, when he says this, the new covenant has already kicked in. The finished work of the cross is a done deal. There's nothing left that you and I have to do to be reconciled to God. That's been dealt with. Paul now says to reconciled new covenant believers, excuse me, Jesus says to reconciled new covenant believers, do something. Yeah, but what if they would have gone, you know, but the work is finished. We don't have to do anything. Just give it to us here. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 500 of you, because Jesus is appearing over over 500 people. He looks at him and goes, go to Jerusalem and wait until you're filled with power from on high. And out of the 500, 120 of them go, deal. Not everybody responds to the word of the Lord. But it's okay. They won't be left out. Just some people are going to plow ground to receive a breakthrough that everybody gets to enjoy. You've heard me talk about that before, but I'm going to take it a little farther today. So... So now, 120, go to an upper room for 10 days. They don't know how long they're going to spend there. They don't know what's going to happen. What are they waiting for? They already have access to an awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The resurrected Son of God just breathed on them. What more do they need? There's the presence and the power. The presence of the Holy Spirit belongs to every single believer. The finished work of the cross made that accessible to every single one of you. You want to do something for God that actually shakes the nations? It's going to require a power. It's going to require power. And power is not accessed without surrender. Surrender to the voice of the Lord. That's, that's the thing of grace. Grace empowers you to actually walk in a place of surrender to the voice of the Lord. And so here now, there are 100, 120 people, upper room. I'm sure fists were flying. You said, what? Yeah, because the Holy Spirit didn't show up until they were all in one accord. And it doesn't mean they got in the same room. Right. Because that would have happened on day one. Listen to this. It took 120 believers who witnessed, saw the resurrected Christ, spent 40 days listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 1. 120 of those people, it took them 10 days locked in a room to actually come into a place of unity to where the Holy Spirit could actually kiss it with the power that God was intending to pour out on the church. The power of God in the Holy Spirit, in the new covenant, came because of unity. doesn't say when they sang the right song. It doesn't say when they preached the right message. It doesn't say... It said when they were all in one accord. One heart, united. I'm sure during that 10 days, I mean, what has to happen? Something has to adjust in the room. Somebody has to lay down their issues with somebody else and get things right. Somebody had to look at Peter and go, you're a microphone hog, man. And every time you open your mouth, you say the wrong thing. You're like the worst leader we've ever had. It's ridiculous. Peter's like, I'm sorry. I just, I don't know. I don't know how to be. And you even denied the Lord. Why should you lead us? You weren't even... Come on. When when push came to shove, where were you at? Yeah, man. Wow. Sorry. I don't know. Everybody has to get their... Whatever problems they had with Peter got dealt with because when the Holy Spirit falls on the room, people's heads explode in fire. There's a sound of a hurricane going on in the room. Everybody's running outside and they're all speaking in tongues, a way that everybody can understand the marvelous works of God. Peter stands up and goes, I will explain. And they let him. One accord. See, I don't, I don't, 
I don't think any church in this town is without the ability to have an awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Like every church in this town, you could walk in and just just by virtue of the fact that you're just in a place where you allow your heart and your affection and your attention to become aware of the presence of the Lord, you can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you, the power belongs to those new covenant believers who are willing to say, I'm living in surrendered obedience to do what I don't have to do to be saved, but I want to do to live in such a place that my life, my heartbeat and my breath impacts nations for the gospel. It's not legalistic. It's radical surrender. You understand when surrender is demanded of you, it's no reward. If it's forced upon you, if everybody has to surrender to just, I have to walk in power in order to be a Christian, you don't. But you want to change the world, you're going to, you're going to need power to do it. Otherwise, you're going to try to do it with your own methodologies and your own strategies and your own church growth ideas and your own ways of getting this thing done. You know how you grow a church in America? It's super easy. I've pastored a bunch of them now. I'm pretty schooled on the formula. If the music's decent, decent, the kids are happy, and the preaching is short, you can grow a church in this country. And get to the end of the service and say, thanks for coming. Don't require anything of everybody. And people will walk out and they'll invite their friends because it's non-threatening. The place will absolutely explode and you'll think you're being successful for the things of God. But 20, 30 years down the road, nobody's really growing in, in their faith unless they turn their heart of affection toward the Lord. And that itself is a work of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. You want to actually do something powerful? It's going to require that you lay down every gauge for success that the world and our culture has set up. If the life and message of Jesus teaches us anything, it's that he gauges success very differently than we do. He picks the worst leadership team ever. He has a tax collector who's an accountant. Why didn't he give him the finances? Don't you think Matthew went, hey, I'm pretty good with money. We're collecting a bunch of it. I mean, I can handle that. It's okay. I got this. I found this guy named Judas. Super solid. He'll be fine. Peter, you get to lead this thing. You're rocking, man. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. You caught it. And now your name goes from Simon to Peter. I'm this rock. I'm going to build my church. The rock of the revelation you figured out. Peter fist bumps everybody around him. And then when push comes to shove, he denies him. When Jesus leaves, one guy commits suicide. The leader denies ever knowing him at all. And the rest lock themselves in a room terrified. Super successful. It's okay. Here's what he's trying to teach us. You can live with the you can live with the physical body of Jesus walking around doing miracles in front of you. You can live with an awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit in around and upon you and live in that place of just rest and reconciled union with the Lord. But you actually want to change the world, it's going to require a power that calls us to a place of radical surrender. That if you don't receive the grace of God to do it, you'll kill yourself trying in your own strength. I'm talking about raising up world changers. You guys alive? Can we keep going? I want to show you what happens. All right. Paul laid hands on him. The Holy Spirit came on them. Verse 6, Acts chapter 19. And they started speaking in tongues and prophesying. Come Holy Spirit. There were in all about 12 men. And this is a redemption, by the way, of... You know, people say, well, Jesus' methodology was, you know, you just picked a few. Maybe we should just pick more. No, this is what happens. Watch what happens here. This is Paul here. He enters the synagogue in verse 8. And he continued out speaking boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading with them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people. Stop for just a second. Stop for just a second. Watch this. Here's the Here's the pattern. They begin with repentance. They begin with this radical repentance, baptism of John. Got to get things right. And then they come into an awareness of their union in Christ, reconciled union in Christ. And then they step into this place of being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the power of God comes forth on them and, and gifts start flowing through them. And then, only then, does Paul start going into the synagogue and for three months unveils the kingdom. You see this? Repentance, 
Jesus, power of the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom. And as he starts reasoning and talking about the kingdom, what is the response of the people? The people suddenly have this this response that's a little strange. It actually says here in verse 9, some were becoming hardened. How does this happen? Some people will hear, will see, will experience the goodness of the grace of God. And the same sun that melts ice hardens clay. And they find themselves receiving the word and they create a distance and separation and they explain it away. They become hardened in their heart. And here's the fruit of that. They start speaking evil of the way. Become disobedient. In other words, I'm not going to, be, I'm not going to live in surrender to this. I'm not going to live in surrender to the voice of the Lord. Yeah, I, 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 I hear your message and I hear about the kingdom and everything. But I'm, I'm just going to walk in a completely different way. What is disobedient? I'm just going to live to myself. Forget the kingdom, forget the way of God, forget the way of the Holy Spirit, forget the way of the Master. Grace and unrighteousness is not making a choice between sin and holiness. It's making a choice between the ways of the world, the ways of your own selfishness, and the way of the Master. Who's taken up residence in you. And grace actually empowers us to live in this place of complete selfless surrender. And what happens here is this hardening that leads to a disobedience. I got stuff I want to do. I got stuff I'm going to... Not willing to lay my life down. Say, Bill, you're a grace guy. Yeah, I, I am. A thousand percent more than I always have been. I'm just really big on making disciples. Long-term grace disciples who aren't flaking out at the first sign of adversity. Disciples who actually said yes yesterday, today, and will continue to say yes, even when your yes is about to cost you something. See what I'm saying? Anybody can say yes when it's fun and everybody's hammered drunk in the glory. Are you hammered drunk in the glory when nobody else is? Can you sing all drink to that when people around you aren't getting healed at your hands? Can you sing all drink to that when everybody else around you is walking away and saying, I don't think I believe in this anymore. It doesn't make sense. There's life on the word. I've tasted and I've seen that he's good. I don't understand and I have more questions now than I ever have been. But you know what? Yes. Still, yes. When everything around you screams at you to say no, you still say yes. That's being a grace disciple. So quiet in here. Whew. Don't you, you got to understand? I've been I've been preaching in Presbyterian Church now for three years. I, I need volume, all right. I need like I need to make up for lost time here, all right. I'm just saying. <laughs> all right. Some people were coming hard and disobedient, speaking evil of the way. Here's the thing. What are they doing? They're hardening and their disobedience then turns to actually making declarations. Everything in the universe was created by the word of God. It's the most powerful force in the whole universe. Everything is brought together, created, held together by sound. It's the symphony of the voice of God speaking out. In the, you are literally the symphony of God. You are the, the choral choir of the heavenly Godhead speaking and declaring in harmony that the universe is beautiful and it's good and it's His creation. That's it. And here's the thing. Made in His image and likeness, your words create worlds. His word created the world. Your words create worlds. What kind of world is your word creating? Speak things over your home, over your kids, over your life, over your family, over your health, over your finances that reflect the chorus of heaven, that come into harmony with the, the heartbeat of God. And watch what happens in your house as things begin to shift and change. Healing begins to take place. What's happening? You're actually putting on your lips the abundance of a heart that surrendered not just to the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. Some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people. So Paul withdraws them and he takes them. 
disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years. And this is the part I want you to see. That all, everybody say all, all. who lived in Asia. Heard the word of the Lord. Okay, now listen to this. Just talk to you for just a second about this. Prior to this, Jesus had said in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You remember this? That's the word of the Lord. And it seems like it would open up a blanket doorway to be able to go wherever you want and do whatever you want when it comes to preaching the word of the Lord. That's just up to you. You just do whatever you want. And that's fine. There are times where God will put multiple options in front of you and essentially saying, make your choice and I'll bless it. Right? That happens because God trusts you, right? As you grow in maturity, God trusts you and and your decisions, your options open up. That's a beautiful thing. But when the disciples, with that word in mind, in the beginning of the book of Acts, wanted to go to Asia, the Holy Spirit forbid them. Now, this required them to take a word that Jesus had spoken, a commissioning word that Christ had spoken, and surrender it to the present voice of the resurrected Christ by the Spirit of God living in them. In other words, Jesus told us, go into all the world. That means we can go anywhere we want, whenever we... No. It means that when He tells you where to go, you can add that, connect that back to the word, go into all the world, and now you're empowered. Right? But it doesn't mean disconnect from his voice and just go do whatever you want. So the Holy Spirit literally forbids them from going to Asia. Don't you think somebody stood up and said, That's so weird though, because Jesus said go into all the world. He said the fields are all ripe unto harvest. I don't understand that. Why are we not supposed to go to Asia? There's people in Asia that need to be reached. They need to hear the message. But they submit to the word. Okay, we're not going to go to Asia. Does God have something against Asia? No. He's got a strategy that goes beyond our understanding. There are purposes and plans that God has for this city that go beyond our understanding that are going to require us from moments of radical obedience to, to, who knows, Ross Parsley's in in Colorado Springs. He hears the word of the Lord. Go to Austin. He plants in in the cinema down here. You guys know it was like their first home in the cinema that they tore down. They come to Ross one day and say, hey, we're tearing it down. Now he's got to go to another place. He goes up the road to an office park. But faithful to the word of the Lord. Go to Austin. Go to Austin. Go to Austin. Go to Austin. Years go by. And then one day in a curvy lane, he and I have a conversation. Connect him with Pastor Bill. Papa Bill and, and Ross get together and Ross suddenly finds out this is the next step to reaching the destiny that I have for my life. Sean Bolt says to Papa Bill, he says, listen, you're not going to see the fulfillment of words over your life until you connect here. What's God doing? He's bringing about multiple destinies that lead to the redemption of a region. All it takes is for one person to be independent and say, no, I don't need you to shut the whole thing down. God won't change his plan, but he will change his man. And he'll move on to somebody else who's willing to be surrendered to the voice. So when I see humble surrender and somebody says, I'm willing to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. That may be the greatest healing revival Baba Bill has ever seen. As person by person walks in and just gets whacked in the glory one after another. Because people who will be coming here have no idea the oil that's been flowing on this ground for years. But he knows. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. Good. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There's a pile of bodies in the foyer. What's going on? This isn't the way we do things. The glory. The glory. The glory. The glory. (laughs) I don't know. And here's the end of the... I haven't even gotten to my message yet. Here we go. Here's the end of the word. It says, and and all of Asia. Paul doesn't even leave. He leaves the school of Tyrannus. He starts a supernatural school of ministry. Because it says he's performing mighty signs and wonders being performed by, by Paul's hands here. But he stays in one spot. What is he doing? He begins with 12, and then he empowers these 12. And you know that all of Asia did not come to that school, but all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Asia heard the word of the Lord. All of 
Asia. Do you know how big Asia is? No Facebook, no Instagram, no social media. Nobody built a website. There wasn't a telephone, a smartphone, nothing. All of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Want to know the best part of this? The word of the Lord It is the prophetic declaration over their life. That's it. Every person in Asia got a prophetic word. That was the thing. Everyone. Think about what that requires. In two years, no social media for all of Asia to get a prophetic word. So what's your message? Never changes. Stays the same. And when you hear messages of unity and union, you start thinking, how do I put that into language? How do I make this real? Undertake the entirety of what Church on the Rock, Cathedral of Praise, Austin Cathedral... I think at one time it was even for a short time, Westlake, Barton Creek Community Church. Didn't work because it made it sound so welcoming. Oh, community church, you say. And then can you imagine people just like all over the place just coming in, expecting a completely unthreatening service? And they left. So I was asking the Lord, I was asking the Lord if I could encapsulate the message of this place and what I've heard from Papa Bill and what everybody who's come in here has given a puzzle piece to in the last 35 years, what would it look like? And so let's do this. I'll bring this down here. All right. Next time you stack chairs, you remember this. I want to just make this as memorable as possible so every one of you know the well that you're standing on, right? Here's the gospel with two chairs. Man begins in God. God and man started together. You begin in the heart and the mind of a good God. And God one day thinks you up. And he has a good thought about you. And he creates, Genesis 1.26, man in his own image and after his own likeness. But the creation... Begins like this. Man and God begin in a face-to-face encounter. Man opens up his eyes for the very first time to behold the face of a father who adores him, who loves him. And God, who has made and formed man from the dust of the ground, lifts man to his face and goes, Yahweh! It's the breath of God. And the Spirit of God, the breath of God, and the dirt of earth converge. And man becomes a divine convergence zone between heaven and earth, unlike any creation that ever has been. You are not God, but you're more than dirt, right? And so man and God begin with this beautiful relationship, this synergy. One day, man turns from God. And what does God do? Does he turn his back on man? No, 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 no. Nope. He actually, this is where I get to work out. He confronts man. He confronts man with something called covenant. Just a warm relationship with me, man says. God says, yeah, it's kind of the way it's always been. I created you with a will to choose. You may turn your love off toward me, but I'm never going to turn my love off towards you. Amen. You understand, the story of the prodigal son is the story of a father who never stops being a father, though the sons don't want to be a son. And here's the interesting thing about the prodigal I just saw this the other day. Brand new, something I'd never seen before in the story of the prodigal son. The younger son says to dad, give me my inheritance. I'm going to go out and party, not make investments, not do my own thing to try to impress you with my business acumen. No, I'm going to go out and I'm going to party all my inheritance away. All the money that you worked for, that you're giving to me, I'm going to party this stuff away. And the father gives it to him. He actually allows his son to take a journey without condemnation. The older son stays at home in the house. Super religious guy. Total works guy. No new covenant there. And he's living at home, but he's getting more and more bitter all the time. And when the father receives the younger son back and he cranks up the music and fires up the barbecue, the older son goes, Dad, can I talk to you for a second? He pulls him outside and said, listen to this. Fascinating. He says, all these years I've served you and you have never once given me a feast that I can. And this is the line. 
Make merry with my friends. Say, what's the big deal about that line? Both sons wanted to party. Neither son wanted dad involved. Catch that? They both wanted the same thing. They were going about it different ways. And the desire of their heart was that neither one of them wanted the father anywhere around. And what does the father want? All he wants is to dance with his kids. Do you understand why the, this well of joy is such a big deal? I mean, there's people that have, have, have derided this for years. Oh, that's just that crazy place where everybody just laughs and gets happy and, and loves one another. As if that's a bad thing. Like, please, yes, everybody. What's happening here? The father is welcome to join the party. Listen, we're all sons and daughters who some have stayed in the house and tried to be as faithful as possible. And some of us have gone out and squandered our inheritance, squandered the inheritance of anointing on our lives. You know the thing about squandered inheritance? Grace can restore squandered inheritance. You say, I don't want to waste any time. Hey, he can make more. Neither son wants dad in the party. You know what dad wants the whole time? He just wants to party with his kids. He's like, listen, I'm totally fine with you guys just, just enjoying the fullness of life. Can you just bring me into it? Right. Dance with dad. Yes. So the son turns away. God goes, yes, I'm still in relationship. I want to be, I want to create a covenant. Man goes, yes, all right, cool, covenant, we'll contract that, that's fine. Let a couple of generations go by. Man turns his back on God again. What does God do again? Does this thing all over again. One covenant after another, after another, after another, until finally God goes, oh, enough with this. I'm tired of this. So now... God steps into our story. Now, people say, well, God and man don't look a lot alike. Interesting, because when God stepped into our story in the incarnation, really hard to tell him apart from the rest of us. And so God steps into our story. And he calls people that we would have never called and qualifies people we would have never qualified. And then he does something most fascinating. He starts loving us and he starts healing us and he starts empowering unbelievers to go out and do miracles. Say, of course they were believers. No, they weren't. Luke 9, 1, Matthew 10, 1. Go go out and like, you know, heal heal the sick and, and, you know, raise the dead and, you know, cast out some demons. They don't even know he's the son of God. He hasn't even bled for their sins yet. And he's giving unbelievers anointing to go out and do miracles. So when you start seeing miracles happen at your hands, don't go print business cards and make a website. Just do it. Just keep doing it. Let God exalt you. It'll be cool. If you've got a website, that's fine. <clears throat> Jesus shows love. He demonstrates love. We're in awe. We can't believe it. What is going on? Who is this man? that He can do all these things. Never a man spake like this man spake. How are we going to treat him? Are we going to worship him? We're going to exalt him? We're going to lift him up? No. We kill him. This is what we do. We kill our creator. And man finds himself in a place of authority over a God who's trying to save him. Fascinating. Because God, in Christ, dies on the altar of our wrath and our anger. But here's the thing. He doesn't leave us in this condition without us even fully realizing the extent of what he's done. He takes us into the grave with him. Because he realizes the only way that I can fix this thing is to bring them into myself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says, By his doing we are in Christ Jesus. 
by his doing, not your doing. And then it says he became these four things for us. Wisdom from God, redemption, sanctification, righteousness. Four things that you and I work really hard to try to become in our own strength. God in Christ became for us. And brought us into himself, giving us all of the things we're trying to achieve in our own strength as a free gift. So now the starting block to obedience is this. You already have all the wisdom you'll ever need. You already have all the sanctification you'll ever need. You already have all the righteousness you'll ever need. And you're already as redeemed as you'll ever be. That's your starting point from a new covenant posture. You're not being obedient to the voice of the Lord to achieve any of that. Your obedience to the voice of the Lord is now purely to touch a very blind world. Right? There's a lot of people out there who don't know what he's done and how good he is. Okay, so Jesus doesn't leave himself in the grave and he certainly doesn't leave us in the grave. He raises us up with him to newness of life. And here's here's where a lot of people get, get mixed up. We think we're back here again. Face to face with God. And, and some Christmas season, there's a song that I absolutely hate. It's terrified me since I was a kid. You better watch out. You better not cry. Because he sees you when you're sleeping. And he knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. Santa Jesus. Some people, some people in the distance and separation, spare tire Jesus. In other words, I keep Jesus in the trunk in case I have a flat in my life. Something goes wrong, I'm going to respond to it by getting right with God. I'm going to go to church and start reading my Bible, start praying and fasting as a response to all the flat tires in my life. Spare tire Jesus. All distance, all separation. Here's the message that this church has been soaking in for years. And now, no, no accident that one chapel catches the fire. And that is that when Jesus raised us up together with him, you remember how we started? That's how it is. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Stand with me this morning. This is the heritage of Austin Cathedral. Oneness, unity, no distance, no separation. Thank you.